we have been doing a series about calling and in a moment we'll get into that but before we do that I wanted to talk about vision offering for a little bit because this is a special time of year for us as a church where we take time to give above and beyond our regular giving uh, towards the vision of this family and so this would have been on your seat why don't you take a moment just to grab that out would be fantastic One of the reasons we like to talk about vision offering before the weeks that we give is because I don't believe that the Bible wants us to give in response to pressure or feeling like manipulated or anything like that. It's supposed to be something that we have time to seek the Lord about, to hear from Him and to give in response to that. So we talk about it this week so that you've got time to seek God this week, hear from Him and come ready to give in the weeks that are to follow us. So vision offering. One of the best things about being a pastor is hearing the stories of people's lives being changed. Even today, being and talking to people between the gatherings, before the gatherings, just hearing people's stories of change. People have met Jesus. People have been able to overcome big obstacles in their life. People like new to church and finding a church family for the first time in their lives. All sorts of amazing stories of people's lives being changed. And what I love is that those stories don't just happen on Sunday. They're happening every every day through the life of us as a church, people being impacted. Uh, Last year, Katie and I celebrated our uh, 10 year sort of of being pastors of the church. And I was reflecting on how many people have been impacted over those 10 years. And I think from the best that I could count, it was about 10,000 people who had been impacted through the ministry of Cure. And I was like, that's phenomenal. That's incredible. But what most people don't realize is that every year when the church comes to give around vision offering, give an above and beyond way, that is actually released a lot of what is easy to take for granted as a church. That there's people that have gone before us that have set it up to be what it is today. And in vision offering, we have a chance to pay it forward, if you would, to lay a foundation, to be the shoulders for somebody else to stand on in the future. In fact, even being in this building, uh, it was eight years ago, we weren't in this building. We're in a little building on McDonald Street, the other side of KFC, a little old bar. And uh, it was a fantastic place. God did amazing things there. Just a little old church, but we did our first ever vision offering then. And I remember that $420,000 were given by this small church that allowed us to move into this building and get this place ready. And for eight years since, people's lives have been getting changed through the ministry as that's facilitated through this facility. I mean, we were talking and linking with Auckland in the gathering before. Every time they walk into that building and that church, that's from people from years ago who have sewn in to make that possible. And so this year in Vision Offering, it's year one of a three-year journey, a three-year campaign where we're believing to give together $10 million and beyond for some big multi-generational, like big future projects. And I know the number sounds scary, but that's the number we feel like God's spoken to us. And already over $6 million has been pledged by only half of the kingdom builders, which is just incredible. So we're going to be giving towards two things. The first is our future uh, home, our future land. And so why don't we check out this video uh, to hear more about that? 
Hey Curate, it's been amazing what God's done through His church over the last few years. I mean, so much so that we've outgrown every space we've ever had in the Bay of Plenty. And so it'd be no surprise to anyone that we've prayed for and we've hoped for and we've worked towards getting a future piece of land that we could one day build a facility on that would be able to house everything God wants to do. Yeah, and our dream for this place and the space is that it would be large enough to house all of what God wants to do through His church, that there would be a large space for us to gather and to worship Him all together, that there would be a large foyer that would foster community and relationships where small groups can meet, where people can be prayed for. We see a place for all of the generations. We see playgrounds for the children to hang out in and to have fun, a space for the family, families, a space for youth. We even see the space for a chapel where you can go throughout the week and spend some time in prayer and maybe even get married there. Um, yeah, we see lots of amazing, amazing things. Absolutely. We dream for amazing indoor spaces yes. and outdoor spaces. And uh, we dream of car parks and who doesn't want to see <laughs> yeah. a car park when they turn up to church. And so, we, but we don't just dream of an amazing church building for church. We dream of a facility that would be an asset and a shining light to the city that would be full of life seven days a week and that the people, the surrounding community would be thankful that it is near them as they're able to use it for the different things in life. And so we want to introduce you to the piece of land that we hope will be the future home of Curate Church. We are standing on answered prayer. We are standing on a dream. We are standing on the sacrifice and the generosity of many people. I love that the purchasing of this land um, is the first part of our dream being materialized. And, and I love that this dream is now not just ours to carry, but for all of us to carry. This is um, all of ours. And man, we just get to celebrate and watch what God does. That's right. I love where it's located. And I love that this is an area of the city that's gonna to continue to grow and it's only gonna find itself more central to the future of our city. And uh, we love the generosity of our church that's made it possible. And we're believing to have all of the land paid off over the next three years. And we've got an awesome campaign called Our Future Campaign. And already $6 million has been pledged towards it. And you can find out more about that online because we wanna see everybody mm. carry this into the future. So we're not ready to start building yet, but let's celebrate the fact that God has provided for Curate Church, a land that we can call home. pretty awesome on March this year when we settled on that piece of land and hopefully one day we'll be able to 
build something on that land, probably in different stages, that will facilitate what God wants to do for generations to come. We hope that we're able to leave something behind that in years and years to come, decades to come, maybe even 100 or 200 years to come, that that is something that is still full of life, serving the community, a pillar of the gospel in this city. The city is growing out that way in extraordinary rate, and so one awesome place. Town planners don't even make space for churches anymore, so we had to make some space for a church amongst the growth, which uh, is really, really cool. And so I think we purchased it for seven and a half million. We're believing to have that all paid paid off and some over the next few years. Uh, so I would love for you to join up in that as a part of Vision Offering. The other thing we're going to be giving to, uh, and we want to set aside $3 million for this, is the Curate Cares Foundation, uh, which is going to be a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, we could be excited about that. Ever since I started in ministry, in fact, I, I wanted to start a foundation, a financial foundation that would invest its resources so that it would grow the capital, but also be able to distribute a portion of its profits to community, to missions, to doing good in the name of Jesus locally and globally. And so we're going to finally start this thing with $3 million. There's going to be some smart, great people that are going to invest that money, build that capital and see that distributed year on year. I'm believing that we'll write it into our wills and bequest money to this because it's a gift that's going to keep on giving far past my life, our lives, my children's lives. This thing's going to be locked up so that it can just keep on giving money year after year after year to do good in Jesus' name. And so we get the chance to be like the foundation of the foundation, to, to start something here. And so we invite you to be able to be given to that and praying about that. Um, this week, uh, the Queen died, obviously. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I, I don't know why I laughed then. Uh, that was really, I actually cried. Uh, I didn't expect myself to. I was driving around on Friday doing some chores, listening to national radio. And uh, they were telling people were sharing stories of their moments with the Queen. And I don't know why, it got me sort of like, it got me a bit teary eyed because here was this phenomenal woman, deep faith in Jesus you know, misses consistent for in her entire life. And I love that even with all of the scandal, her character became the statement of her life in the end. And, you know, I, as I was pondering her story, I couldn't help but go, God, help me catch some of her spirit. God, help me catch that consistency. Help me catch that deep faith, that deep sense of duty and selflessness. And, you know, we can think what we want to think about the monarchy and all of that sort of stuff, but that is a woman of faith to be admired. And I, I was there going, I want to catch some of that. God, take some of what's in her. Help me put it in me. You know, and as we prepare for giving this week, I want us to catch some of the spirit of some woman in the scriptures that we might be like, God, you put a bit of that in me as I prepare to give this week. And so I got three women, actually three groups of women that we could look at just quickly as we prepare for our part in the offering. The first is from Luke chapter 8, verse 1, and it's the ladies, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and other unnamed ladies. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news 
about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him along with some, uh, uh, some woman who he had healed from and who had cast out evil spirits. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chaza, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. What I think we can learn from these women, what I think we can catch as we prepare around our giving, is that we have a mandate when it comes to generosity as God's people. These women caught an official order or a commissioning to do something. They were among the few who made the impact on the many possible. And God calls people. He shifts people's hearts. He blesses people's lives so they can resource God's mandate on this earth. I love that these people, they could recognize, these women, they could recognize God was moving through Jesus. God was doing something special in their time. And they recognized that they couldn't necessarily do what Jesus was doing, but they could play a part to allow what Jesus was doing. They use their resources to make it possible. These women, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and the other unnamed woman, are the silent and unseen characters that lay behind every story in the Gospels. What, they, what Jesus was able to do, what the disciples were able to do, they're able to do it because they had the resourcing, the generosity of these women behind them. And there's no doubt that God is writing a story with Curate. It's amazing, the redemption story, the growth story, the lives that have been changed, the kingdom impact that is being had. You know Katie and I's hearts, the whole team heart is never to be to just grow this big church, it's to grow a church that has a big impact. It's to grow a church that is a resource to other churches, that blesses the kingdom, that empowers the people to really make an impact in their world. And so God is moving. And it's not just for the sake of us, it's for the sake of what God is writing in his big story. We want to be a first fruits of what God does. And what's happening here, there's people, often silent, often unseen, that through their generosity make everything that this place and this people do possible. And we have the chance to be a part of that group of people. You don't have to be silent. You could, but there's something unseen about generosity that just makes everything possible. So we want to catch a mandate for generosity from these women. The next woman, we want to catch the measure of generosity from the widow in Luke 21. It says, while Jesus was in the temple, he was watching the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Our, our world normally has a way of measuring things. The world is normally bigger, better, longer, or whatever it may be, but that is not God's measure when it comes to generosity. It's not the way he looks at it. These two small coins, these two small leptas, this, this currency, make up two of them. You need 128 of them to make up the minimum wage for one day. It's like the equivalent of two bucks this widow has put in, yet Jesus looks at it and says, this woman, this is true generosity. And this is the thing that actually while we might measure generosity in zeros, God measures generosity in sacrifice. 
He's not interested in counting it. He's weighing the heart that it comes from. It's about faith when it comes to God. No amount of money is insignificant when it comes from the right place. It's about big faith, not big zeros, not necessarily big money. God doesn't count he weighs. It's about the faith journey. It's about going on a journey with him. God, what do you want from me? What are you calling me to give? What's the sacrifice that I could bring? Proverbs 21 verse 2 says this, a person may think their own ways are right, but God weighs the heart. Generosity is always a heart matter, not a bank matter. It's not about the currency. It's about the faith and trust in God. And the third woman I want to look to is Mary, because from Mary we learn the motive of giving. In Mark 14, verse 3, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and she poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus leaped into her defense. Leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to. And we should, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Mary, her life had been changed by Jesus, and so she poured out what she had upon Jesus' feet. To others, it might have seemed wasteful or not wise, but to her, it was coming from a place of love for Jesus. There's a lot of things that won't make sense to the people around the world and around your lives when it comes to just doing it for the love of Jesus, following his voice. We need to know when it comes to giving, our motive matters. You know, my kids sometimes come to me and they try to butter me up. Oh, you're the best dad in the world. Come and give you a car. I love you so much. I know what's coming next, a request. You know, can I have an ice cream? Can I have some money? Can I have some of your lollies? You know, something like that. I'm hoarding mine in our house, you know. The child that never grew up. Um, But there's something about the motive. The motive matters to Jesus. The motive matters every time giving is talked about in the scriptures. It's sweet when it's all about Jesus. When we come and bring an offering, you're not bringing it to Katie and I. You're not bringing it to the church staff. It's not to us. You're not bringing it to the church. It's between us and God. It's between us and God. And so I want you to catch this week as you prepare from these women, from Susanna, Joanna, Mary, and the others. I want us to catch that we are mandated in generosity, that it releases things. It's part of our call as Christians. I want you to catch the measure of God from uh, the widow, that it's not about how much you can give, it's about the heart you give it with. It's about, you know, it's about the faith, it's about the sacrifice. And it's also from Mary, we want to catch, that's right, it's all about God. It's just out of our love for him. He's changed my life so much, I offer him back, back to him such a small piece of what he's blessed my life with. So as we prepare this year, I know it's tight for many people out there. And here's the good news. That's okay, because God doesn't expect you to give out of what you don't have. 
He only asks us to give out of what we do have. I think after a time of such disunity amongst the body of Christ, there's something powerful in the offering where we have the opportunity to be unified and all bring something. I think that's an amazing statement in this time to be like, well, I might not be able to bring what I want to or what I would in another season, but by bringing something, by everybody bringing something, it's like we're in this together. We're a part of this family together. I want this offering for every person to be an offering of obedience and faith. It's not about the money. It's about being on the journey with God. It's about living on that faith edge of, God, what do you want me to give? And trusting Him and being led by Him and coming alive and living in obedience to Him. And I want to talk about it this week. So next week we can just, we've already got it all filled out. We've already got it prepared. And we can just come and worship Him and bless Him and, 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 and have Him receive what we bring to Him and so in this booklet, and there's more information online, is everything you need. And I, I, there's this table here. And I, I put that here because when I say $10 million, I know that people are like, man, how is that ever going to be possible? You know, that's, that's a lot of money. That's more money than most people will ever see in their entire lifetime. But when you look through this table, you can see over two or three years, it actually just a little bit can make a big difference. Like that, that bottom you know, thing of 200 people giving 3K, that's the equivalent of $20 a week for three years. That's the sort of difference it can make to be a part of it. So next week, you're going to be able to give a one-time offering and or you can actually make a pledge, a commitment over the next year that you're going to, oh, I'll just give a little bit extra on top of what I already give over the next year, and that's how I'll contribute. Some of you, you might prefer to just bring something that you've already got. Some of you might, you know, that's like, I don't have it right now, but I could do a little bit extra. I could do a coffee a week. I could do something that's going to make an impact over the long run. So bless you as you prepare, and let me pray for us as we, as we think about preparing for this. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for all you've given us. Thank you for your generosity towards us, that you gave us your son. Our lives have been changed and impacted, Lord. Lord, this week as we seek time with you, we just ask that you would speak and you would lead us, Lord. Lord, would you be very loud to us about what you're asking from us this week? Lord, would you help us to be aware of the different voices and reactions that might come up in us, Lord, that we might be able to distill your leading in our lives, Lord. Spirit, would you be with us this week as we prepare? And Lord, we trust as you bring all of these pieces together as we all play our part. Lord, that will be above and beyond over these next three years. And we pray that there would be a multiplication effect of the lives that are impacted by your son Jesus through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. Take that away. Prepare for that. Here's the bad news. I've still got a sermon to preach. You've already had one sermon. Here's the second sermon for the morning. You ready for that? I know lunchtime's good. Yeah, okay, good. It's 12 o'clock, but we're all good. It'll be a short one, said the preacher, but never achieved that ever. Um, in my mind, every time I think it's going to be short, but uh, I'm quite a long-winded person, so... I hope you're enjoying the called series. I think my heart for the series comes a lot out of my own story. And I think a lot of people, from what I hear, uh, have a similar type of story in the sense of when I first came to Christ and I was more immature in my faith, 
I found there to be this great like dualism in my life. Like there were times when I found it really easy to connect with God and get how he was a part of my life. And there were times that it's just like they seemed very not God. It's sort of like if I was, for me, it was like if I was in a Bible study on worship or in church, I was like, I can see purpose and I can see calling and I can see God and I can sense God. But then when I was just at work or in study, it seemed to be like, I can't see how God's a part of this. For other people, it might be different. You might find when you're in a bushwalk, it's like, oh my goodness, like God's so present. But then when you're like in your dating life or in your marriage or whatever, it's like, I can't see how God's in this, you know? It can be all sorts of things. It can be for some people, it's like the church service is not what like floats their boat. But there, there can be other things. And we can create this like, it, it can all be different for different stuff. But they can create this like dualism or the separate separation where there's times where we can see how it's purposeful and God's in it. And there's all these parts of our lives that we're like, I can't see how God's in that. I don't experience him in that place. And the heart behind calling is that we might move towards a life and build the type of life that we experience God in all of our life. And that we know what it means to serve him and to follow him in everything because we're supposed to arrive at every day and every moment with a deep sense of purpose and a deep sense of God's presence. And building a life where that actually becomes increasingly so, I think is what God wants for us. And because I'm a pastor, that's what I want for you. So that's the story we're trying to build in this. I think one of the issues can be because people's default mode Sadly, and these people aren't in the room clearly because you're here, the default mode over the last like 10 or 20 years seems to be like, I can be a Christian without the church. And that's ridiculous, um, but we don't have time to talk about that today. Um, we'll talk about that next week, baby. I don't know, you know, but we, we don't have time to talk about that. But what me that means is people uh, can devalue our gathered life and our church life. And so what seems to happen is churches ramp up and talking about it more. But that actually just means that sometimes the dualism or the separation is only grows because we spend all this time talking about how to be the church together rather than empowered in our lives out there. And it's both. And so hopefully this is going to go some way to balancing out the scales. I love what Romans 12 verse 1 says. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. That sounds like most of our lives, eh? Not our extraordinary, spectacular lives. Just our everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. You're driving around in your car. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. I love that. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. God wants your ordinary life. He wants your sleeping, your eating, your marriage, your singleness, your sexuality. He wants your work, your recreation, your holiday, your commute. He wants it all. He wants your classroom. He wants you just sitting at home having a cup of tea. He wants you going down to get your coffee. He wants that life. And part of understanding this called life is our whole life is supposed to become service to God in these ordinary things. 
It's not when we turn up and join the curate team and we put on our lanyard or when we go out there and serve our city and serve the community. These things are great and they're important and they're a part of it, but it's our whole life. Where ministry just means to serve. Where does ministry take place? Wherever our lives take place. That's what God is interested in, is discipling us for our ordinary, our whole, our normal lives. And that's what we need to catch in this. And we've been building, you know, understanding this calling framework. If we could put those concentric circles up, that'd be great. Uh, thanks, Brooklyn. Doing a great job. Once we find them, eh? There we go. Um, We've been, we've been using this model because often when we talk about calling, people are like, yeah, well, what's my perfect job? What's my destiny for God, you know, in God? What's these great, not ordinary things, what's these extraordinary things God has called me to? But what we need to understand with calling is the most important part is just our life. It's just our life as it is. And actually, God's most interested in who we're becoming, not what we're doing. And so our first calling is to God himself. Our calling is to know him and to become like him. And the awesome thing is, is that we're doing that now. And you can do that when you go home. And when you wake up on Monday morning and you open your Bible and you pray, you're living out your calling. You're responding to the call. You're like, I hear you, God, and I'm living it out. In every part of your day, there's opportunities to live out that part of your calling. Don't need the perfect job. Don't need the perfect season. Don't need the perfect anything. You got it now. You got your life. You can respond to him. And But now we're going to start, because we've been talking about that over the last few weeks, we're going to start getting into this next bit. What does it mean by the good? The good of your life. And really, this is the category of how we respond to our life as it actually is, okay? That's sort of where we're going with this thing. That actually um, our life is a way right now and it might be different in a year's time and it might be different in a decade and the job might be different and the season might be different. But right now God has caught, got a whole bunch of assignments, if you will, that he's called you to right where you're at. And they'll change in your life. So really, this is the category for everything that doesn't fit ministry, like, uh, and we'll explain what that means when we get to those weeks, and our job. But this is a category. It includes raising our families. It includes just doing good to people as we come across them. It, it, it's about how we respond to ordinary life. But I'm going to, for today, I'm going to put it under the banner of we are called to assignments. There are assignments before us right now. Like Joseph was called to an assignment. It wasn't his whole life, but it was an assignment to make sure the, the world as they knew it was saved from famine. Esther had an assignment. It only spanned a few months of her life. It was to save her people from genocide. Gideon had an assignment. It was called to lead a military campaign with nowhere near enough soldiers and set his people free. Mary had an assignment. She was called to be the, the mother of Jesus, to birth Jesus and to raise Jesus. It wasn't her whole life. It was a part of her life. And these, these sort of assignments are callings that don't span our whole lives, like knowing God and uh, you know, becoming like him. Uh, the specific assignments entrusted to us for a time. And we're going to talk about some more of them in detail over the next few weeks, but just an overview this week. Within the wide river of our lives and all of the twists and turns it will take, God is speaking to us. And he's saying, help this person. And he's saying, give this. And he's saying, focus on this. 
or endure this or respond this way. He's leading us where we're at. But the problem is we can often miss it because we're waiting for the clouds to part, the voice of God to come down to us and go, you should be doing this, you know, like we're waiting for the epiphany, the angel appearing, we're waiting for those prophet moments in the Old Testament or our burning bush moment. I want to tell you, you don't have to wait for those. That actually God is wanting you to live called now. And he's made enough clear because it's under this idea of doing good. Sometimes we feel like this. If we could put the skeleton up. This is how I look at some people. (laughs) A lot of people waiting on God while God's waiting on us. That actually God asks us to trust him with the future. But here's the thing. God actually trusts us with today. That's all he trusts us with is today and the way we respond to it. We know that fundamentally Jesus is wanting to transform us by the power of his Holy Spirit to become people of love. Not love as the world defines it. I can't even figure out how they define it. But love as defined by Jesus, agape love. What is agape love? Willing the good of another. So this is a way of learning to respond to our life the way it actually is that brings about good everywhere we go. That's what our assignments are about. Stop waiting on God. God's waiting on you today to just start living with purpose. Viktor Frankl, in his amazing book, Man's Search for Meaning, phenomenal book. He's a Jewish psychiatrist, spent three and a half years in concentration camps, survived that, writes about his experiences, writes about what he learned about the meaning of life in those times. And his whole theory around the meaning of life is that often we're all sitting around going, what's the meaning of life? We're asking life the question. And he goes, no, no, life's asking us the question. What meaning are you going to bring to it? How are you going to respond? How are you going to, you know, you've got a life, you've got things going on. The meaning of it is brought about by you and the way you respond to those things. And I just love that idea because it's so empowering. It's so like just respond to your actual life, not your dream life, just your actual life as it is today. So here's some of the assignments that we might find ourselves in that I want you to be aware of. The first is we're just assigned to good works. We have to remember that as Christians. Let's not make it too complicated. Acts 6.2. So the 12 called a meeting of all believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. They're having some issues with the food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit of, and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they called and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He died a couple of ch- oh, next chapter and he got martyred. Anyway, there's Philip and then there's all those other guys that I can't pronounce their names. Uh, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. I want to tell you that there are assignments. These assignments, this wasn't these these men's whole purpose in their lives. I mean, there's much more written about Stephen's last sermon before he's martyred than there is about him doing any of this work. Philip, in Acts 21, I think it is, he's no longer Philip, the food line guy. He's Philip, the evangelist with four prophetess daughters. This wasn't his calling. This wasn't God's big dream for his life. This was just a good work that he could contribute to now in his life. 
and he was being faithful with it. And I want to tell you, there's good works scattered throughout your life, throughout your life this week that God is calling you to. Could be a person at work, could be a person down the street, could be an opportunity to make a difference in somebody's lives. It could be just, I mean, I was talking with Anne-Marie beforehand, hopefully you don't mind saying, you know, she's been doing these pamper days, organizing these pamper days to help people that are coming out of and victims of domestic abuse, domestic violence, just loving them, blessing them, doing an amazing job. And a perfect example of just, how can I make a difference? I'll just do some good work. I'll just do some good work and I'll live out my calling. I don't need it to be complicated, doing phenomenal. It could be a ministry. It could be helping with something. It could be or could not be. It could just be getting out there and doing it. You don't have to start a charity and just do it. Just bless some people. Just help some people. It could be a need here. It could be a need out there. This is the assignment of good works. And I want you to live your life looking for the opportunities for good works. Because that's how we respond as to our life as it actually is. The second assignment could be this. It could be a stewardship test. Luke 16 verse 10 says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in larger ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, get this, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other, You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. There's three things that I think are often stewardship tests in our lives. There's the stewardship of finances. There's the stewardship of other people's things. And there's the stewardship of ordinary things. And these are often the things we're tempted to despise or not see as very important. But what Jesus is saying is how we treat these things, how we steward these things, steward means taking care of something that's not yours fundamentally, will determine how much Jesus trusts us with the true riches of heaven. And right now in our lives, our lives are filled with stewardship tests right where we are. Often we can despise them, often we can overlook them because we want to get on to the bigger, better things. But right now, our assignments might be some tests. Why are these things tests? Because they're the great revealers of our heart. We know people will take care of their own stuff, sort of, but it takes a certain type of character to care for something that's not theirs. I'm sure if Jesus gave you some great you know, riches in heaven, perhaps you'd take care of it. But Actually, he wants to know, can you just take care of the basics first in a way that honors him and glorifies him and is surrendered to him? You know, these are the fundamental things. So much of the time we can over-spiritualize our lives and we can overlook the ordinary aspects of stewardship that God is trying to grow us in. Every time we just steward well, we are living out our calling well with these things. Are we surrendered? Are we conduits? I hear people say this all of the time. It's like, man, if, I, if God lets me win lotto, has anybody ever prayed that prayer and bought a ticket? You know, Powerball gets up to 21 million. Uh, you know, it's like, God, I think it's your will that I might win this. And if I win this, I'll give you like at least a few million of the lots of million. You're kidding yourself. Because if you can't give a few dollars of your hundred or a percentage of your current paycheck, what makes you think when those millions are in your account, you're going to part with them? Because money doesn't change people, it just reveals people. 
And so often we're living in la-la land around like what God might want to do through our lives in the future, but it's actually just today. Just what's entrusted to you today, stewarding that well with God in every sense. It could be in your work. You're working for someone else. You want to be your own boss one day. Steward that well. Serve them well. It might be your property. It might be you, you might be renting a house and one day you want to be able to own a house. Well, be the best tenants. Take care of that thing. Wash that thing. Maintain it. It's like this is the test of what it means to serve God in our ordinary lives. No need to over-spiritualize it. I think people are so often not faithful with the basics because we're looking too far ahead in the future. We're afraid that actually if we're faithful with something, it might keep us here. But it's the opposite. When we're faithful, it releases us from here. We pass the test. We move on to the next one. Here's the thing. You never stop being tested by God. All you do is graduate to bigger tests. There's some good news for us. The, the next assignment that we might find ourselves in, and I, I suspect almost every single one of us will find us in this assignment at some point in our lives, is that we'll need to care for a family member in a special way. Jesus, one of his last things he says on the cross is he makes sure his mother's taken care of by making sure his best friend John's going to take care of him. Oh, take care of her. Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 5, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Throw that in your grace and smoke it. Um, <laughs> it might be caring for a sick family member, a grandparent, a, a parent uh, through a season, or it might be in their deathbed. It might be a child who needs special attention in a given season or because of what's going on for them. These are the callings of God in our lives. They're not the interruptions. They are the thing. I love this story. Thomas Edison came home from school and gave a paper to his mother. He said, Mom, my teacher gave this paper to me and told me only you are to read it. What does it say? Her eyes welled with tears as she read the letter out loud to her child. Your son is a genius. The school is too small for him and doesn't have good enough teachers to train him. Please teach him yourself. Many years after Edison's mother had died, he became one of the greatest inventors of the century. When he was going through a closet, he found the folded letter from his old teacher. He opened it and found that the true message written on the letter said this, your son is mentally deficient. We cannot let him attend our school anymore. He is expelled. Edison then wrote in his diary, Thomas A. Edison was a mentally deficient child whose mother turned him into the genius of the century. It's incredible. I don't know if it's true, but it's incredible. <laughs> It's unverified. It's a classic preacher's story. Most of us at some point in our life will find us in this assignment to care for our family. It is the call of God in that time. It's two last things. Preparation. Sometimes the assignments that we're given in our lives don't seem like they have an obvious connection to our future but they're part of how God's preparing us. They might seem like the long way around to where we want to be, but they're God's way of getting us ready. Joseph had this, he had all these times and sold into slavery, you know, put in prison, you know, all of these different things before it was obvious that he could say in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. 
Even Jesus in Luke 4, it tells us that then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in, in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing in all that time and became very hungry. No joke. Uh, he was led. He's led in the wilderness. He was led into a time of preparation. Right now in your life, you might be studying. You might be learning. You might be having to figure out dating and have all the self-control when you're wondering what it's all about. It's about preparation for the future. You might be in a job. It doesn't make sense. God, why am I here? Preparation for the future. It's preparation. I love what... Paul writes to Timothy, he says like, hey, in a household, there's ordinary utensils and there's special utensils. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be like a special utensil that God can use for special work. And I'm like, man, I want to live a type of preparation life in the unseen place that sets up God to use me how He would like to use me. That's, we might be in a preparation season. Proverbs 20 verse 21, an inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. Moses and Joshua are good examples of people who tried to step into their calling before God was ready and before they were ready. And they had to go the long way around back to it. Sometimes God leads us the long way around and we have to trust Him and be faithful. And the last one is this, our assignments might just be random compassion and obedience. Don't despise the small things. Pick up that rubbish, the Spirit might say to us. Or just pick it up because it's there and somebody needs to. Help that person on the side of the road. Pray for that person. We might get the leading. Reach out to that person. Why does their name keep coming to me? Give this to them and bless them. Send a word of encouragement. Invite them around for a meal. Go and help them with their lawns. Whatever it is, these opportunities are before us every day and every week. And when we actually respond to them and do them, we're like, I'm living in my calling. Maybe the difference between you living this week and your calling with a sense of purpose and presence is just the difference between you realizing the assignments that are before you and not despising them. Just not looking down on them as like in the way of my real spiritual life, but going, actually, God's in all of this ordinariness. And as I respond to it, to bring good everywhere I go, I'm living out my calling. Imagine just having that approach in the morning. God, help me see that today. God, help me see that this week. God, help me see that at work. God, help me see that in the community, how I can just bring good to all of these places. In spirit, would you change me so that I can be a person that actually does it? 